Hi everyone, you're listening to the Health and Wellbeing Podcast. I'm Alison Mitchell, a practicing naturopath, and you can find me on naturopathnsw.com.au. Today, I'm talking with fellow naturopath Lisa Costa-Burr about Ayurvedic medicine. These podcasts will feature discussions on various health conditions, health tips and nutrition from a naturopathic perspective. Sometimes it's just me, sometimes I'm interviewing guests. All the time, I hope to share with you information on health and well-being with the aim to empower and educate. Please remember that all information is general and not a specific recommendation that replaces consulting with a practitioner. Please talk to your healthcare practitioner before undertaking any changes to your treatment regime. So hi, Lisa. Thanks for joining me today. So for those of you who listened to the podcast last time, then you probably remember Lisa. She's a, a naturopath and she's got a big interest in thyroid and adrenal health and women's health. So, But she's also a, an Ayurvedic lifestyle practitioner. Do you want to just tell us a bit about yourself, Lisa? Sure. So, Alison, you're quite right. I am a practicing naturopath, but after I finished my degree, I actually went and studied um, at Nature Care College to become an Ayurvedic lifestyle consultant. So for those of you that don't know me, my background is Indian. I'm from a place called Goa, which is in South um, India. And at a very young age, like I've always gone on holiday there um, every second year and actually had skin discoloration, um, pigmentation on my body. And I'd been to see dermatologists here in Australia and nobody could really do anything about it. All they could do was prescribe me a steroid cream, which I was very inconsistent with taking. So when I went to India, I actually went to an Ayurvedic um, facility. Like they have hospitals here. They have Ayurvedic hospitals there. And they asked me a few questions and they gave me a herbal ointment. And I just had to apply that to my skin and the pigmentation disappeared. And every time... Um, I would stop using it, the pigmentation would actually come back on and off. So I was really impressed by how quickly the gel worked and how eventually the pigmentation actually just went away. That's really interesting. Did that happen before or after you were studying naturopathy? It actually happened before. So it actually, I think that that in part influenced my decision to become a naturopath, seeing how you know, natural herbs and things like that can be used to heal the body. Yeah, that's great because I guess when you came back here, Ayurvedic medicine wasn't as well known and it's, it's something that you can blend into naturopathy as well, isn't it? I think it's really important to note that a lot of the principles that underlie naturopathy, we, we actually borrow a lot from traditional Ayurvedic medicine as we do from traditional Chinese medicine. So they're both you know, very holistic therapies, um, but we'll talk more about that in a minute, I think. Yes, <laughs> we will. <laughs> so I guess, can we start by what is Ayurveda or what is Ayurvedic medicine? Sure. So Ayurvedic medicine is an ancient healing medicine that has been around for centuries and it's from India. So it's traditional Indian medicine. Still practiced today in most places in India. They actually they they have their own, as I mentioned, Ayurvedic hospitals as well as conventional hospitals. But most people practice Ayurvedic medicine in their home in conjunction with conventional medicine. We're actually seeing an increase here in Australia at the moment because we the yoga therapy is quite popular at the moment, and yoga and Ayurveda kind of go hand in hand. Ayurveda is a Sanskrit word, and it translates to Ayu meaning life or living, and Veda, meaning knowledge. So our 
life knowledge and it's something you know that we we're learning throughout our lives basically this knowledge doesn't doesn't end as, as we finish school it's our life, life knowledge throughout our life I think that it is becoming more popular from what I've seen as well, particularly among social media and Pinterest and all these sorts of things. And it's very beautiful sort of field as well. So how do you blend your knowledge of Ayurvedic medicine into your naturopathic practice? Okay. So I look at it. It can be a little bit challenging at times because Ayurveda is a traditional, very, very traditional therapy and naturopathy, even though, People tend to think of it as being new age. It's actually, I guess, much more Western than Ayurveda. But as I mentioned, they're both holistic therapies and they both look at the whole person. So I guess I utilize my Ayurvedic medicine, particularly from a nutritional perspective. I'm very much interested in the seasonal eating, the concept of daily routines, meditation and, and relaxation and things like that. And I bring, I bring that aspect of Ayurvedic medicine into my naturopathic practice and integrate the two. That's great. I love that sort of aspect of it as well. And I think I know that for me one of my key treatment philosophies is that what what you said it's the importance of treating everyone as an individual and so Ayurvedic medicine does that so well. And from what I understand, it does that really well. It's aimed to balance everyone's individual picture or to balance the doshas or the, is it the prakriti? Is that how you say it? That's right, they're prakriti. Yeah. <laughs> That's right, yeah. So there's three main doshas in Ayurveda. So what are they? We have our vata, pitta and kapha. And I think it's important to notice that we have all three of these doshas within us, but we tend to predominate in one or more of the other. So most people are actually bi-doshic, so they, they predominate in both in two doshas. But there are these rare individuals who have all that, that we call tri-doshic. So they have all three doshas in balance. But usually we tend to predominate in one or more of Vata, Pitta or Kapha. Have you seen many tridoses? No, uh, maybe two. Mm, That would be exciting when you come across that. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, is there an online questionnaire or or somewhere like that you'd recommend for people to be able to work out their Prakriti? There are a few different questionnaires um, online. So even if you just put in online or dosha questionnaire, you know, you'll find uh, a questionnaire to find out your individual constitution. But, you know, for example, there's ayurvedadosha.org slash doshas slash ayurvedadosha test. But there's an example of one that people could use if they're interested in finding out what their dosha is. But I would say it is beneficial to actually go and see a practitioner because we tend to, when we're doing a questionnaire, we tend to be a little bit biased in mm-hmm. what we think are our, our qualities. And a trained practitioner doesn't actually need to really do too much questioning so they'll just be able to look at you and they'll be able to straight away diagnose their own doshas so I'm a lecturer at Endeavour College and I teach um, just a small class on Ayurveda and I can already tell having taught the students for a little while I already am aware of what their doshas their dosha is and what they predominate in first of all by their physical appearance but also by their intellect intellect and the way that they conduct themselves, so their mannerisms. So, for example, a a pitta person will have a very sharp intellect when they're in balance, um, but out of balance they tend to be quite competitive, quite fiery, um, yet they're quite good to have in class because they will take the initiative, they're leaders, they're bosses, so they'll put their hand up to answer questions. They're not afraid of being wrong. 
That's so interesting. Maybe um, maybe our listeners now can pause the podcast and w- go and work out their dosha. But as you said, it's probably beneficial to actually see someone who's trained to work it out for you if you are wanting to take it a bit further, mm. but just for the interest of the rest of this podcast. Yes. So do you know what dosha you are? Of yes. course you would. <laughs> I'm actually a vata kapha, so I'm a dual dosha. And that means when I'm in balance, I'm fast thinking, but still quite sturdy. But when I'm out of balance, um, I tend to be quite ungrounding, ungrounded. And that karthic side of me may, for example, be more prone to weight gain and so on. But the vata is the quite, quite opposite. It's fast, it's light, um, and it needs grounding. So, for example, at the moment we're in winter, which is actually a vata season. So most people that are vatas tend to aggravate in winter. So because they're quite light and airy, they need grounding um, just to balance them. So from a perspective of food, more slow cooking, um, more slow cooked lamb and things like that would be balancing to them. No cold meals because they already tend to be quite cold um, and feel the cold quite badly too. So no ice waters or or um, raw fruits and things like that. A a um, stewed fruit would be a better idea. So with some warming spices like cinnamon and and ginger and things like that. So they're just ways in which people can kind of pacify their dosha a little bit. Mm. Do you find that people are attracted to the foods that are worse for their dosha? Um, I noticed that with pitta people, they tend to be quite fiery and they love the chili and the hottest curry. <laughs> They're the ones that are like, oh, I ordered the, the hottest curry, oh, burnt me, but they, they, it aggravates them, but they just keep going back for more. <laughs> well, that's funny because the reason I ask is I'm a Peter Kaffer, I think, from what I looked, and I love all the things that you shouldn't have as a Peter, which is the chili and the pickled foods and things like that. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> So it's just more specific to that one. That's so interesting. And the carpets too, like they tend to, when they're out of balance, there tends to be a lot of mucus, a lot of phlegm, chest inflammation, and they're the people that love the ice cream. They can sit down and in front of the TV and eat a whole tub of ice cream or lots of yogurt and things like that, which tend to be quite mucus-promoting and quite um, damp. Mm. Definitely. And so – You've talked a bit about the vata. Can you talk more about the 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 other two as well? Sure. So kaphas tend to be sharp, um, quite competitive, but out of and that they're good things, but out of balance. So, for example, if they're drinking too much coffee, if they're not getting enough sleep, if they're exercising too much, they become quite fiery and angry and resentful. In a woman, they may have really hot menstruation, lots of blood, lots of clots and things like that, um, aching, hot pain. So to pacify them, they need cooling down since Pitta is characterised by fire. So cooling activities um, in terms of sport, team sports would be better for them so that they're, so they can get rid of that competitive, they can try and balance it out. Things like swimming would be good because it's quite cooling um, in terms of their fruits. Things like watermelon, something really 
really cooling is, is actually beneficial for them. So pitters will notice that they actually become aggravated in summer due to the heat, whereas barters and calfers who tend to be quite damp and cold, just summer is a really good time for them because that warmth kind of um, heats them up a little bit. And so calfers tend to be quite solid and sturdy. I always think of them as being your people that are like big, dependable kind of trees, the, the thick ones, the ones that are grounded, and they make really good um, caring professions like teachers and nurses and, and so on, um, really good mothers. They have that really good motherly instinct about them because they're so grounded. But out of balance, again, as I mentioned, they, they tend to be quite mucousy, asthma, um, and they can be quite obese as well. So for calfers, they do well with exercise. Now, both Vata and Pitta tend to aggravate with coffee, but Kapha is actually the constitution that they can actually get away with a coffee because they tend to be quite sedated and sluggish and they find it hard to get going. A, a bit of caffeine can actually um, get rid of that kind of sluggishness for them. That's good. Nice. Mm-hmm. One of the things I like with the Ayurveda as well is the a theory that everything that we do in our diet and our lifestyle influences our health. And there's a quote that I found that relates to this, which I find it's really lovely. It goes, as is the atom, so is the universe. As is the microcosm, so is the macrocosm. As is the human mind, so is the cosmic mind. Isn't that lovely? Beautiful, yeah. Okay, um, so what are the main Ayurvedic teachings you've incorporated into your life personally? Okay, so I say that the main teachings that I've incorporated into my life are around really around digestive function. So Ayurveda looks at the stomach as having a digestive fire, and this is called their Agni, but we can put this Agni out. So, for example, you know, when you go to a restaurant, this is one of the, the things that I love so much, Prior to studying Ayurveda, when I used to go to a restaurant, they always serve you the cold ice water. But in Ayurveda says, no, this is actually really bad because if you're drinking the cold ice water, you're actually putting out that digestive fire. So don't drink the cold ice water, just drink warm water, and that way your, your fire is still going. And when you put the, the foods in there, the acids will be there to break them down. Um, so Ayurveda also doesn't really believe in snacking too much. Um, they believe that eating in between meals actually weakens your digestive fire. Now, again, this comes down to constitution. Somebody who's a carpa, they're solid, they're sturdy, they probably don't need those those snacks, whereas someone who's a vata constitution and tends to be quite um, light and airy needs more grounding. So they're the people that can actually do with snacks in between because that that helps them feel grounded. And we, you'll see patients like this all the time. If they skip a meal, they completely can't cope, they're, they're flipping out a little bit. They're your vata constitution, whereas the calfers could go without eating breakfast, for example. Um, around food itself, there's a lot of lessons to be learned. So food should be body temperature, for example, not too hot or too cold. Um, it's definitely the use of spices with cooking is something that I'm very much aware of. So things like ginger and black pepper and things like that to warm up a constitution. So, again, very good for Vata and Kapha who tend to be damp, not quite as necessary for Pitta. And so while Pitta's like that spice, they're better off using gentle warming spices 
like cinnamon and things like that rather than the chili, which can just be a bit too much. And even for vata, because they're quite delicate, too much chili can just aggravate them. But it's great, very stimulating for kapha, um, for example. And the way that you could be combining foods and spices together can be quite good for negating some of the negative effects of food as well. And that's a very Ayurvedic thing as well. Is that something that's, again, specific for each constitution or is are there combinations that are just general for everyone? Um, yeah, look, the idea around food combining I think is quite, I think it's really clever, particularly as, you know, this is a really ancient tradition. It's thousands and thousands of years old, but what we're seeing is that the teachings are still very relevant today. So, for example, for a carpic person, milk is quite mucus-promoting. It tends to be quite damp, and they already have these qualities. So Ayurveda teaches that, you know, they can still have milk, but let's warm it up, first of all, and then let's add some warming spices like ginger and like cinnamon to it so that we make it okay for them in terms of their dosha. Similarly with vata, you know, in winter, Salads, cold salad is a no-no because their digestion, because they're already cold and their digestion tends to be quite weak and that tends to go out for vatas. You know, a, a cold salad, not such a great idea, but throw in some slow-cooked lamb or something like that and some black pepper and suddenly you're, you're warming that meal up and you're increasing the digestibility of it. So I think it's really clever. And in, in Ayurveda, typically what they do is they start the morning um, with a little spice mix. That's one of the first things that they have, a blend of things like black pepper, long pepper, ginger and things like that, just a small amount because they believe that gets the digestion going for the rest of the day. I could imagine an Ayurvedic household would smell delicious. Spices and things like that, absolutely. Are there any classic Ayurvedic recipes that you find yourself falling back on for yourself or recommending to clients frequently? Yeah, look, ginger tea is one that I have recommended for years and years and years. I, just beautiful in summer, in winter rather, for warming up the body. And it's, if we're looking at the actual recipe, two inches of ginger chopped into small pieces, some black pepper, and then you can also add in 20 or more basil leaves. So the ginger is antimicrobial. Yum. That would sound. That sounds amazing. <laughs> Ginger's antimicrobial. So is the basil, and they're all quite warming. Along with the black pepper, just helps to get this, the circulation going. And you can you could throw in some thyme or some other you know warming herbs in there. And that, in winter, it warms you up, but it's also great if you've got a sore throat or you feel like you're coming down with something, because they're so antimicrobial. They really help to get rid of any any bug that may be lurking. So at the first sign of, you know, a sore throat or something like that, I get my patients to make up a big two litre flask of it. Let the stuff that let the herbs and the spices sit in there for at least half an hour so that the essential oils and the other constituents come out into the water and then I get them to sip on that throughout the day. And yeah, I, I find it a fantastic recipe, really, really easy to do, but also great for my thyroid patients whose digestion isn't great um, and who tend to be quite cold. Anyway, the hypothyroid, they, they really suffer in winter. So it's, it's just a lovely warming tea that works really, really well. Lovely. Golden milk's popular at the moment. Can you explain what that is and what its benefits are? The golden milk uh, gets its name from the turmeric, which is a spice, turmeric, and the 
the constituent within turmeric, which has been, it's, it's this constituent of the month, or turmeric really is constituent or hurt spice or herb of the year at the moment. It's just being sh- shown to be good for everything. Um, it's this beautiful golden colored herb or spice, depending on how you're using it. And turmeric has been shown to be antioxidant, anti-inflammatory, immune regulating. There's so many different actions for it. So to make golden milk, it's actually, they're, they're utilizing turmeric in it. So you could use a spice or you could use fresh, fresh, um, turmeric, which looks like ginger. It's, it's kind of a root, but just a, a bit more orange inside. And, um, you boil that up with black pepper because the piperine within black pe- pepper actually increases the bioavailability of the, the curcumin within it. And then you might add some, um, milk of your choice. So in India, for example, they use buffalo milk, but here you may prefer to use almond milk or rice milk or something like that. You may want to add um, a bit of coconut oil in too. Some people put a bit of that in. And um, then once that's ready, you might add a sweetener. So in Ayurveda, they never add honey, as in they never heat it up because they believe that that destroys the vitality of the honey. So if you're going to use a sweetener like honey, you add it after it's it's been boiled um, and then you drink that and hopefully you're getting the healing properties of the curcumin. So what's really interesting about curcumin is in the West now we, you know, we are looking at it and we're saying, wow, people in India, for example, have really low rates of Alzheimer's disease and a lot of other cognitive problems and they put this down to their intake of turmeric and other spices which are, of course, highly antioxidant. Um, and we we put we try to put it in a tablet or a pill and we find oh, it doesn't work in the same way the curcumin isn't as bioavailable so we we now understand that adding the black pepper improves that but it's what they've been doing for again thousands of years when they're making dolls and things like that they always add the turmeric but they add black pepper in there too so like, i think that's really clever and heating it as well mm. with a bit of oil or fat and things like that also helps doesn't it yeah, that's right. Yeah, which I guess some people could do as well if they have an actual um, turmeric capsule. Mm. So, like the highest strength one, they could actually add that into their food yeah. with the heat, like the heat and the oil, and then that would help them to get more out of it. Yeah, that's right. And so, always keep your spices. Here's a little bit of trivia for you: <laughs> keep your spices in you know a cool, dry place away from the sun. A lot of people actually. Um, and I used to be one of them actually used to leave their spices in a jar um, and it was right in front of the window but actually you know they they are when they're supposed to light for example it starts to reduce their um, antioxidant potential so you know don't keep them for three or four years because again they're not going to be as useful to you as well. Yeah, you can usually find that the spices that you would buy or you would get in like the variety packs when you get like a spice rack or something like that, they're probably a bit old as well and maybe not so great for you. Yeah, that's right. Another recipe I really, really like is just good old chai tea. Um, mm, lovely. Yeah, just lovely. Um, now, you can make that yourself using whatever spices you like, really. Um just so lovely in winter and you can again add your own honey right at the end um, and your choice of milk depending on what what's good for you but so much nicer than the big 
the big chives that you get at, say, Gloria Jeans and McDonald's, where they're just using a, a, quite a horrible syrup that has no, <laughs> no medicinal properties at all. But, you know, making your own at home, which is ever so easy, you're actually using your food as medicine, which is what Ayurveda is all about. And it's not very difficult to make either. No, no, not at all. Last few nights I've been making a uh, spice milk. I'm not actually sure whether it's an Ayurvedic recipe or not, but I've just been warming up some um, oat milk and then putting in some cardamom, some nutmeg and some cinnamon and then put in some dates and then I blend that. So getting on to the topic of dates, dates in Ayurveda are one of these beautifully revered foods and they call them a rasayana, so a rejuvenating tonic, basically. And after, for example, intercourse or after a woman's had a baby, it's common to then consume dates as a rejuvenating tonic to kind of give the body the energy back that it requires. So a nice cup of milk and some dates um, as your rasayana, your rejuvenating tonic. Oh, oh good. <laughs> I'm doing well then. So what are some other Ayurvedic techniques and principles that are popular which people might not know are actually Ayurvedic? Okay, so something that another another technique that I recommend to my patients is the concept of Abhayanga, which is self-massage. So, again, really good for all constitutions, but you change the type of oil that you're going to use depending on the person's constitution. So for people who are... Barters and kaffirs. I mean, all constitutions do well with sesame sesame oil um, because that's believed to be penetrate through all seven layers of the skin, and, and it's good for pacifying for all three. But um, pitas, because they tend to be quite hot, they do well with coconut oil because it's cooling to the body. So Ayurveda suggests when you wake up in the morning, you actually heat up the oil in a little saucepan, and then you massage your body up towards the heart with the oil. This is particularly great to do in winter because, say, um, vatas tend to have quite dry skin. But you give yourself a massage, kind of stand around for five minutes, and then you shower. And this just helps to to moisturize the body, improve the circulation, and it's a bit of self-care for yourself because often, you know, we wake up and we're the alarm goes off and we're kind of all gung-ho and we, we don't really spend a lot of time on ourselves. And, again, then they say once you get home, repeat that. So um, I find that just a lovely little thing that we can do for ourselves and, you know, cost-effective. You don't have to pay um, a lot of money for a massage or anything like that. You don't have to worry if you've got hairy legs or any of that sort of stuff. It's just something nice you can do for yourself at home and such a beautiful thing to do for children as well. You know, they, they love that. That does sound lovely. And in infant massage, we use the sesame oil predominantly as well, which is very interesting that you were saying that's good for all the types. Another thing um, Ayurveda recommends is the concept of tongue scraping. So you can actually buy a little tongue scraper. Um, often you can buy them online from Ayurvedic sites or some – Spice markets and places like that. I know at um, Fiji Market in Newtown, for example, they sell metal tongue scrapers. And Ayurveda suggests every morning before you wake up and you brush, or after you wake up, obviously, oops, um, after you wake up, before you brush your teeth, you actually scrape the coating that is on your tongue. Now, a healthy person will not have a coating. They believe that coating to be the buildup of toxins called armor. 
And hopefully as the digestion improves, as you work with your Ayurvedic physician, that there won't be any coating. But what we do in Ayurveda is there are many forms of diagnosis. One of them is tongue diagnosis. So your Ayurvedic physician will actually get you to stick out your tongue and the tongue is like a map of the body basically. And so they can see where you, where there may be dysfunction in your body based on what's going on in your tongue. So if there's a red tip or if there's scalloping around the edges or if the tongue is purple or moist or there's a yellow coating or, you know, you've got a pale tongue, for example, these these are all different things happening in the body. So your tongue scraper um, will be able to get rid of that coating for you um, in the morning. And Yeah, it's a good way of seeing what's going on with your tongue, basically diagnosing the tongue. So the, the tongue analysis is something that we do in naturopathic medicine a fair bit as well, and they do it in Chinese medicine, I know, as well. Do you find that there's a bit of a crossover or are they quite different in terms of the maps and what you're actually looking for? There, there is a bit of a crossover, but there are also some differences. So I wouldn't say that they're identical at all, um, but there are some similarities. And, you know, it, they're two different philosophies, even though there are many similarities between naturopathy and TCM and, and Ayurvedic medicine, they are still, there are still differences. So, yeah. Yeah, everything's all got its own individual sort of flair, I guess. That's right, yeah. And I guess one of the other Ayurvedic techniques that people incorporate a lot as well is the um, oil pulling. That's become more popular recently. And so that's where you would take the sesame oil or the coconut oil or the sunflower oil and swish it around in your mouth and almost like you suck it between your teeth and – they say that you can do it for up to 20 minutes and you start with doing it more regularly and then the, the more practiced you are at it, then you, the less you have to do it. And that's traditionally it's been said to draw out toxins, but nowadays we know it works more on the bacteria balance in the mouth as well. That's another one that's got that sort of origin from the Ayurvedic practices as well, which is interesting. Yeah, and it's also supposed to be very good for the gums as well, very good for gum health. Yeah, I guess because you're dealing with the bacteria, that would have that benefit. Yeah. And then the rest of the digestive system too, because if you if you get the gut flora working right in the mouth, then it will have a flow-on effect to the rest of the gut as well. That's right, yeah. So you were talking before about seasonal eating, and I know we're now at the peak of winter. Like It's pretty, it's pretty cold this morning. <laughs> have you changed your eating habits much to suit the winter? Absolutely. So I'm much more inclined now. So in, in summer, for example, I, I love a, a fresh juice or a green smoothie, but at the moment, obviously, with the weather, I'm much more inclined to, to eat in line with Ayurvedic principles and be consuming a hotter breakfast. So something like a porridge with cinnamon just to warm up my body. Um, or if I was going to have a juice, I might add some ginger, some fresh ginger in there just to heat it up a little bit and warm it up for me. Other things, less raw foods, less, if I'm having a salad, I tend to warm it up a little bit. So as I was talking about before, just adding some, say, hot potatoes through that, some new potatoes that have been warmed up, lots of black pepper. Again, just trying to energetically change the food. And no, I, I think people are more 
naturally attracted to that during the winter months anyway, um, like to actually have you more ro- roast vegetables and things like that. But people have been so tra- trained to go, all right, salad and tuna or chicken and broccoli for lunch that like we've gone away from the the way of seasonal eating. Totally agree with you. And I would say this is one of the biggest differences, I guess, I find between Ayurveda and naturopathy. Um, practitioners like you or I would probably be recommending to our patients not to eat too many salads in winter and they, they, they don't really feel like it anyway. But naturopathy really promotes things like juices and salads and whole foods. But I think Ayurveda places much more emphasis on Yes, salads are good, but let's actually change them. Let's tweak them a little bit so that they're they're right for the season that you're eating them in. And smoothies as well, like your green smoothies, that's such a non-winter thing to do. But people are still doing it. I think if you're buying in season, then you're going to be eating, like if you're buying what's fresh and grown at the time, then you're going to be eating the right foods for your body in those months as well. Mm, That's right. And so... Things with my patients now, if they're, they're wanting a dessert, I'm recommending something like a baked apple. Take the core out and fill it with, say, cinnamon and nutmeg and raisins and sultanas and things like that and just bake it in the oven in foil for, you know, 10, 15 minutes. And then you've, you've changed the energetics of that, that food. It's no longer a cold, raw apple that would be quite difficult for a barter to digest, which is why they get... Um, bloated and they may be more gassy, um, suddenly it's much easier for them to digest. Additionally, you know, a baked banana, get a nice ripe banana, again, wrap it up, put a bit of maple syrup on, some cinnamon, nutmeg, that sort of thing, bake it, and you're changing the energetics. It's, it's no longer that raw banana that's cold and unsuitable for, for winter. That sounds delicious. <laughs> And I, I like with those ones that they're fairly straightforward. Like you don't really need a recipe to do that. You just, but yeah, like you said, core the apple, stuff it with some raisins and spices and bang it in the oven and done. Yeah, and dolls and things like that. You know, for this type of weather, a dal is really easy to digest. You've got a whole range of beautiful spices in there. It's a really light, light meal, perfect for this type of weather. Mm, and that's a really good breakfast as well. Exactly. So for people who can't handle eggs, Dahl's a great breakfast alternative and because it is like got your complex carbohydrates and your protein and it's going to keep you re- feeling really nice and full for a long time. Yeah, just beautifully nourishing. Mm. And you can, again, tweak it depending on what dosha you're in. So you are. So vatas, you know, perhaps a bit more spice, same with kaffas, and then pitas, less of the spice and using more cooling spices such as cardamom and things like that. Mm. Are there any other techniques you use to adjust to the seasons? Again, you know, you can use your your warming oils and things like that. Particularly for me, because I'm a vata, I tend to get very, very dry skin in in winter and a dry scalp as well. So, you know, we've talked about doing the abhyanga, the, the self massage, but you can also do a beautiful um, oil massage for your hair, and that again keeps the hair nice and moist less dry, easier to manage, um, and less dandruff and things like that too. And if you're using coconut oil, it's antimicrobial, so you've got that that added benefit there too. 
Yeah, I love that idea. I, I recommend that to my patients quite a lot for people with scalp issues and they always say that it works really nicely and they have beautiful hair as a result. Yeah. So pranayama are a system of breathing exercises. Can you explain these a bit more? Yeah, so pranayama, exactly what you said, a, a system of breathing exercises and it's a Sanskrit word that actually means extension of the breath. Now, again, really old traditional um, healing method, but proven now by clinical research to help relieve asthma, reduce anxiety, help with stress. So it's something beautiful, again, to start the day off with or to finish your day off with or both. And simply what we're getting patients to do is sit in a really comfortable cross-legged position if that's if that's comfortable for them, and that's a pose called um, Sukhasana. And then close the right nostril with your right thumb, and you might like to actually practice doing this now as, I, as I'm talking about it. Um, so close the right nostril with your right thumb. Inhale deeply through the left nostril. Close the left nostril with the ring finger on your right hand as you release the right nostril. And then we just repeat that again. And how long would you do that for? You can do that for as long as you want, um, five, ten minutes. It's a lovely thing to do before your yoga practice or after your yoga practice or even at night. I get a lot of my patients to do a guided meditation and, again, lovely way to start and finish your guided meditation. And that just helps people get their minds into a, a more relaxed state before bed and get rid of the excess anxiety or the busyness of the day that they've had so when they go to sleep they actually have a more restful sleep rather than going reliving their day through their sleep and actually waking up completely unrefreshed because they've had a really overactive sleep and their mind's been really busy. I find breathing exercises so helpful for people's stress levels and just general health as well and I think the the pranayama is the way that you're describing it it's your reduced oxygen flow as well which is similar to potato style breathing and that helps with balancing your nervous system and and also helping with circulation so you've got in all of these things that we're talking about with Ayurveda these traditional techniques that we now know actually have the research behind it and they might come with different names nowadays and different rationales but we've been blessed with this traditional wisdom that we've always had yes. so i think we're coming to the end now so what, what would you say that your favorite ayurvedic herb is oh look i've got two maybe i've even got three but i probably my my number one herb is shatavari um which, yeah, <laughs> which is Aragus race mosa. I might have even talked about this one before. I just love it so much. But um, in Ayurveda, it's used for a whole range of different things. So in, in you know traditional naturopathy, we're using it. I use it pr- primarily as a female female herb, rejuvenating tonic. Where I find that it works beautifully to improve cervical mucus, and it's fantastic for improving libido. But in Ayurvedic medicine. You know, men can use it too. It's not primarily a female tonic. It's thought of as just being a really good rejuvenating tonic. Um, good for digestion too, which is, which is something we don't really use it for here, but clinical research actually does show it's in line with conventional medicine used for dyspepsia as it helps to, um, improve gastric emptying. So quite a clever herb, um, that we use both in Ayurveda and, and naturopathy and then my second favorite would would be ginger because it's such a great one 
for digestion, for circulation, um, even for women that come in and they've got that stagnant pain, period pain caused by not enough blood flow in the cavity. I just, I love ginger. Um, and then my third one would be tribulus. Um, so I've got three favorites. Again, tribulus for its tonic effects on both the female and male reproductive system. I didn't know tribulus was Ayurvedic. Yeah, tribulus is an Ayurvedic herb. Yep. Well, there you go. Oh, gosh, there's so many naturopathic herbs that are Ayurvedic that we don't really know about. I definitely knew about Shadavari. Um, didn't even consider ginger to be Ayurvedic. Yes, I, I'm i really loving holy basil at the moment. Yeah, Tulsi. Tulsi, yeah. Which is just such a beautiful herb for stress and for the immune system. And it's really great just generally in promoting wellness. Mm, just beautiful as a tea as well. Mm, and of course with Thania. Yeah, you can't go past ashwagandha. Mm, beautiful. But yeah, I do love Shadavari. That's just so wonderful. And I love how they talk about it being the um, she of 100 husbands, that sort of thing. <laughs> okay, so if people want to get in contact with you, how can they do that? Okay, so you can find me, you can contact me on my website, which is www.lisacostabeernaturopath.com.au, Costabeer is C-O-S-T-A-B-I-R, or on Facebook, Lisa Costabeer Naturopath. You can find me there. I'm always posting pictures of um, food and, and adding nutritional tips there too, so come and check me out. Beautiful, and people can find me on naturopathnsw.com.au and on Facebook, it's Alison Mitchell Naturopath, and on Instagram, it's Alison M Naturopath. So thanks so much for joining us, and uh, I really enjoyed learning all about Ayurveda. I've definitely learned some new things, and I'm sure everyone else has as well. And I think that we can definitely learn a lot from it and incorporate it into our daily lives just to get a bit more general health benefits from it that's right so what are you up to for the rest of the day i guess there's not much time left in this day anyway you've had you've had a busy day at clinic so far haven't you i've had a busy day and now i'm going to pick up my daughter from kindy and i'm actually writing an article on five ways to lose weight without changing your diet (laughs) oh excellent so that's a good one and if people can want to read that and then they can go onto your website for that Well, thanks so much. I will talk to you later. Okay. Thanks, Alison. Bye. Bye.